the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 225 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 10, 11 a.m. on December 20th, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Dan Bayer. Good morning. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right, everyone. So for this week, we are going to be talking about some very exciting developments that we saw uh, over the last week. We are going to talk about the Sundance Film Festival lineup for 2020. Did it meet our expectations? Did it underwhelm? What does it look like on paper and what will it tell us for 2021? We're also going to go over some of the precursors that started to announce this week. A very, very exciting time for award season fanatics out there all over the world. We're going to talk about the trailer that was released by Searchlight Pictures for Nomadland. Go over the polls, answer your fan questions. But before we get to all of that, let's go around. Let's see what everyone is catching up on this week as we head towards the end of this shitty year known as 2020 to finalize our best of lists. Michael, what did you watch this week? I caught up with three new movies this week, all from 2020. The first was I'm Your Woman, the new Julia Hart film starring Rachel Brosnahan. And I think it's very well done. It has a great... Uh, period setting. I love the production design, the costumes, the whole, you know, suburban 70s feel to it. Rachel Brosnahan is terrific. I think it has some really interesting ideas. And even if it feels like maybe could have used a fine tuning, I think it's definitely worth a watch. It's on Prime Video and uh, pretty good. I saw Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey on Netflix, uh, which is this new musical that dropped, I think, in November. Uh, Beautiful production design, beautiful costumes, nice premise. Everything is set up perfectly. The problem is the execution really leaves a lot to be desired. When you're a movie musical and your songs aren't good, that's usually not a great thing. But I like the look of this movie. I like what it was trying to go for in being an original movie musical on a large scale. So I've got to give it some points for that, even though it really doesn't stick to landing. And the big one this week that I'm sure we're going to be talking about for a while to come... I, like many others, saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, also on Netflix, of course, and it is one of the best films of the year. I think what George C. Wolfe does as director with this adaptation, bringing it from stage to screen and truly working in an adaptation, it's not just like filming the play. He expands it for the screen. He makes some interesting choices. I think what he did there was brilliant. Of course, the performances from Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis are, you know, among the very best of the year, maybe the best in their respective categories this year. Just truly remarkable work. I can't wait to see it again because it's really a rich piece and it really packs a whole lot into like 85 minutes. It's just a short film, but really has a lot to say. So uh, definitely the best thing I've seen this week. Okay, cool. Uh, let's hear next from Dan Bear. 
I have caught up with a few things this week. Uh, like Michael, I also saw Mom Rainey's Black Bottom, and you can hear my more detailed thoughts about that one on the podcast review that we released yesterday. Uh, I also saw uh, Du, or Two of Us in English, which is the French um, submission for the International Feature Oscar this year, and uh, cried almost all the way through. <laughs> um Really beautifully done, very touching story of uh, two older lesbians who live across the hall from each other in uh, Paris, in France. I think it's specifically Paris, but in France, and have been in a relationship for years, but one of them, uh, their family doesn't know. And it's. it's <laughs> It's just done really, really well. Fantastic, fantastic performances um, from the two leads, including Barbara Sokolow, who's very famous from uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder's films. Um, and <laughs> another, another 2020 movie that deals with dementia in some form. Um, but I loved it. I don't know that it will win the International Feature Oscar, but sends a very good chance to get nominated, I think. Um, also caught up with the documentary Red Penguins. Oh my god, that movie. Which is, which is just as crazy as I'd heard. Um, <laughs> so much fun. That's like one of those, you hear it and you say to yourself, I cannot believe that this actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, it, it, it strains incredulity, but it's all real and you should definitely see if you're looking for, you know, a fun true life story, a what the fuck <laughs> moment It is filled with them. Um, and I lastly caught up with the indie St. Francis, which I, I forget if that was a Sundance movie or not, but it feels like it probably was. Fantastic uh, lead performance and script from uh, Kelly O'Connell. And really, really well-directed, enjoyable, small film. Um, fantastic kid performance, too. Another great one of those in 2020. And... Yeah, I remarkably frank about women's issues, specifically um, sexual issues. I was very, very impressed. It went to a few places I did not expect it to go. Um, very touching, very funny, very well done. I highly recommend. Okay, awesome. Josh Parham, what about you? Yeah, so with the end of the year uh, sort of approaching us, I've been trying to use this as an opportunity to catch up with a lot of stuff that uh, I have missed recently. Um, so that's been a lot of my watching lately. I caught up with Freaky, and I really liked that movie. It's not perfect, but it's a really like fun horror comedy. It has a really nice balance between those two, and I think that if – like if you saw the trailer and it looked like something that you would, you would be interested in, I would recommend it. It's it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed that one. Uh, I also surprised – well, not surprising to me, but surprising to a lot of other people who saw this movie uh, – watched Greenland and thought that was really good too. Yeah. Uh, maybe the 2020 surprise of the year for me. <laughs> 
I think it was for a lot of people. And I am in the bag for disaster movies anyway. Like, I'll even watch the bad ones. But this one is actually... It, it actually places emphasis on the characters and their struggles. And I thought it was a much stronger choice. And, yeah, I thought it was actually a really, really good movie, even for somebody who can be kind of forgiving to these types of films, this one was actually very well done. I think you will be surprised by how much you find yourself invested in these characters. And it's not great, but for what it is, it's very, very well done. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I also saw Collective, the the new documentary from, um, it's Romania, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, also very good. I did not love it, though. I've heard a lot of people mm. say this is a great movie. And I think the reason why I didn't love it is because what they're investigating, very interesting, very harrowing, but the journalists themselves are not really given that much of a profile. And I I think that was the thing that sort of held me back a little bit was that their story was a little dry, but what they're investigating is incredibly fascinating. And I would still recommend it just for that. Yeah, totally agree, Josh. Yeah. Uh, I saw wild mountain time. Oh, Josh. <laughs> well, you know What's what? What's the buzz on that one? <laughs> that, um, what actually strikes me most about that movie is just how boring it is. And there is a twist at the end that is, like, kind of unbelievable. But to be honest, like, even the twist is boring, at least the way that it's presented. And I think that was what I most struggled with. That, and I don't know what accent Christopher Walken thinks he's doing, but it is not Irish. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing in that movie, but it's uh, mostly boring and pretty bad. And uh, yeah, would not recommend that one uh, to a good degree. I even considered doing like an audio commentary track for that movie someday, you know, because it is so disengaging that we could just talk like through the whole thing and observe what's going on and wouldn't we wouldn't actually like miss anything, you know? No, I I don't think so. It's um like I said, it's just mostly very boring and I didn't find any of the characters all that interesting and it sort of felt like at one point like why do we have drama here because they're not acting like adults. They're acting like immature children and that was a bit frustrating. Not good. I wouldn't recommend it. I also finally saw Mulan, uh the new the new remake from Disney and great Looking movie, costumes, production design, makeup is great, but I thought, like many of the Disney remakes, it's pretty padded and not very uh, good storytelling. And I found myself pretty bored with that one, too. The only thing I liked about it was Z Ma. I really like that actor, and he gives the film's best performance, but outside of that, uh, I really wasn't a big fan of it. Yeah, no, I was not a big fan of that film either. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, looks great, but... I thought it was pretty empty in terms of the story I wanted to tell. Uh, and then the last thing that I have to mention is I finally saw Viggo Mortensen's Falling. Oh, man. I warned you. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I, I feel bad for you, Josh, because like I warned you about Wild Mountain Time. I warned you about Falling. <laughs> and you're just a glutton for punishment. You warned me, so you don't need to feel bad for me. I, I made a consensual <laughs> decision to watch Falling and boy, is uh, is it as bad as people have said it is? And the way that I describe it is imagine watching Green Book, but at the end of the movie, 
there isn't even an attempt to have the characters learn a lesson to be less racist. It is baffling to me how this movie like has nothing to say and has no growth for its characters, no commentary really to present to an audience. And it's just a bunch of very flat one note characters kind of just yelling at each other. And it's two hours long and you get to the end and it just feels like such a pointless exercise that I'm sorry to say is a complete just vanity project for Viggo Mortensen. And uh, it's a, it's a not, yeah, it's just not good. It, it It's really pretty terrible. It's one of the worst films of the year for sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I definitely agree. I was warned and I'm warning all of you, please do not make my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Okay. Uh, so for myself this week, um, as mentioned before, Greenland, one of the surprises of the year for me. I, too, was expecting this to be, quite honestly, I was expecting this to be a pile of shit. I really was. I have seen Gerard Butler movies. I have seen Gerard Butler disaster movies. I predominantly do not like any of those. I don't think I just like him in general. But something about this worked for me, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they emphasized the human struggles, as Josh mentioned, and you had an emotional connection to these people, and it felt very grounded. It felt realistic at times, not all the time, but at times. And it emphasized that over the, the visual effects spectacle of what the movie could have been. And I really appreciated that choice a lot. I also saw Collective, and I was very enraged by that movie as it continued to go on. I recognize that it is a very intriguing piece of journalistic movie making. And, you know, those those types of movies, I think, do very well with critics a lot. And that, that's all well and good, but I, I, too, found it to be a little dry at times. And I think that, like, after the initial, I don't know, say, like, the first, like, 20 minutes or so, I did kind of start, it, it, it did start to lose me a little bit in its procedural elements. But uh, by the end, I was definitely hooked back in. It's a good doc, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's worthy of the praise that it is receiving right now, where people are saying it's like, like the best doc of the year and one of the best international films of the year. I, I'm not, I, I don't I'm not quite there. Yeah, I feel like people are saying that more because of what it's documenting mm -hmm. than yeah. how goes about doing it right completely agree um i rewatched the father which man Oof. We, we will continue to talk about that throughout the season but man oh man mm -hmm. that does that movie hit i mean jesus christ that hits hard and i also saw the mauritanian which i can't really reveal too much about as it's under review embargo right now but i thought it was good and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, more to come on that film as well. And if you guys are wondering about my Oscar predictions uh, for it, I currently do not have Jodie Foster in my top five predictions for Best Supporting Actress. So that should tell you everything you need to know. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. 
That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? Oh, That's what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That. That's just how <laughs> it works. So the precursor started this week. I mean, you know, I feel it feels funny because like, I feel like this award season has had so many unofficial starts, if you will. But it really feels like now we're really, really in the thick of it and things are moving, constantly getting updates every single day from various critics groups. This is going to continue on. You guys can check out the awards calendar on nextbestpicture.com for updated dates throughout the entire award season. And so this week we saw Boston Society of Film Critics Awards. Uh, We saw the Indiana Film Journalist Association nominations, Florida Film Critics Circle nominations, New York Film Critics Circle winners, and Chicago Film Critics Association nominations, Boston Online Film Critics Association winners. And today, as we're recording this, the Los Angeles Film Critics Association are announcing. So to kind of go through these uh, really quick, I mean, honestly, the big one that I will read off here is uh, New York Film Critics Circle. They're one of the most prestigious and long-running film critics groups in the world. And this year, they bestowed their prizes, uh, main prizes. I'll, I'll go through these here really quick. Uh, best first film, 40-year-old version. Best foreign language film, Baccarat. Best nonfiction film, Time. Animated feature, Wolfwalkers. Cinematography went to Small Axe for all of the films. Best supporting actor, Chadwick Boseman for Defy Bloods. Best supporting actress, Maria Bakalova for Borat, subsequent movie film. Best actor, Delroy Lindo, Defy Bloods. Best Actress, Sydney Flanagan for Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Best Screenplay, Eliza Hitman for Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Best Director, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. And Best Film went to First Cow. Now, taking all of that in for a minute, and then looking at, you know, the various nominations and wins that we've seen so far from the other groups, collectively... What's everyone's thoughts so far on how the critics have chimed in so far on the award season race? I think it's very interesting because it plays to the notion that the critics are really off doing their own thing this year because everything has changed this year. It gives them more freedom to pick the films that I think they would like to pick in other years, but are sort of, I don't want to say held back by the Oscar conversation, but play into the Oscar conversation. Now it's free reign, pick anything, doesn't have to be anything that will ever make an Oscar dent, pick and vote with your heart. Yeah, I think that what you are starting to see is that in some instances, there is a bit of a consensus starting to form. Like, I I know that Nomadland did not win Best Picture in New York, but Chloe Zhao did win Director, and I think that that's going to be the start of the kind of critical consensus around that movie in particular, and you're going to see like every once in a while some weird choices pop up. But I think that the main takeaway is we are starting to see where, at, at least in terms of some of the more regional critics, where their consensus is heading. And I think it is starting to form right now. I think the most interesting thing for me so far is 
when you look at it from an Oscar standpoint, how much Mank and Trial of the Chicago 7 are factoring in into our predictions and the fact that critics are mostly ignoring those two films right now in their wins and even nominations in some cases, for not, not totally, but for the most part, I think it kind of leaves a lot of these fields instead of it leaving it wide open i'm i'm failing to see like you know if they're not going to go for this or this or this because that's too mainstream or choice or they just don't like that movie then the choices that they are going with are to michael's point more obscure and i i I, i'm really sorry i'm going to be very cynical here no matter how many best picture prizes first cow wins First Cal is not going to get a Best Picture Oscar nomination, you know, and that's totally fine if you want to give it that prize at your own group. Like, I'm not saying don't do that or anything, but this always happens every year where we see some groups announce and then we see some people with knee jerk reactions online saying, oh, my God, do you think that this is going to get into the Best Picture conversation? And it's like, calm down. Right. But, But at the same time, part of why I've always liked to pay attention to the critics awards is because they usually have the ability to influence the Oscar race. And I like to find those parallels and what could come as a result of what the critics pick. But I think that influence is very selective, though. I think it's been waning over time. If you look back to maybe 10, 12 years ago, they definitely had more of a correlation than they have in recent years. And I think given the pandemic and how things have just changed and blown up this year, there's more of a willingness to just stray further and further away as the trend goes and, again, vote with their heart and say, if I love First Cal, I'm going to give to First Cal Oscar campaigns be damned. Yeah, and I, for one, am happy that they're doing that as opposed to trying to predict the Oscars like certain other critics groups that shall remain nameless. I can't I, I can't fill in the blank there because I'm a member, so Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know, we know. But you know, I do agree with you, Dan, that I do like it when these critics groups do just look at what is in front of them and say, like, yeah, we just like First Cow. And I don't think that First Cow is gonna get into the best picture race, yeah. but it winning this award maybe gets it more attention in something like adapted screenplay. Agreed. Or maybe or maybe even something below the line, you know, it, it is a period piece and could get some nominations there. Like, I think any spotlight on these movies is good. And especially in this weird timeline where some critics groups are only looking at the calendar year releases and then other places are going to be extending with the Academy. Like the narrative is sort of going to be all over the place. And if you are planting your flag early, it's good to, Make a statement sometimes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially with critics groups that don't really have that much of an obligation to do anything really that the Academy says or wants to do. Here's the way I look at it. Critics groups are not the be all end all. They are just a piece of what helps us in predicting the Oscars because they do help to narrow down the field. And usually we start Mm -hmm. off the season with – 20 plus names they, they can really help us get down to a final 10 uh not the final five but usually down to at least those 10 where you know if we start to see that a name is someone in particular is not showing up anywhere 
for not even a citation for a nomination even, then that person's chances are most likely dead. And you really do need to look at the smaller regional ones for that too, not just the big ones like New York and LA, because you're just looking for a general consensus, you know? And if somebody somewhere thinks that, say, I don't know, say Glenn Close is worthy of a nomination for Hillbillyology, for example, well, then that means that somebody else somewhere within the Academy might think so too. Mm -hmm. Not saying that it's a, like I said, not saying it's a direct correlation, but you're looking to see what is a wild card choice that you could write off and what is something that actually still is in play. Like, so to Josh's point, Sidney Flanagan currently has two Best Actress wins from Boston and from New York. Freaking awesome. Yeah. That's great. Do I think she's breaking into the Best Actress conversation? I mean, let's see, because it's still early. But I do think, like the first Cal mentions, this really helps never really sometimes always is profile for something like, you know, screenplay, as we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And then we also have to keep in mind, too, a lot of these critics groups that are announcing now, right now, they're not considering the movies that will be eligible that are releasing in January and February. So a lot of other movies and performances that could be in the mix are currently not in some cases. It's a very weird time right now. And <laughs> I think that r- truly that the best objective for any of these critics groups is to just really pick the movies that are the best and yeah. and the ones that 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 those groups responded to the most because it's really hard to have like this normal timeline of when things are going to kind of like affect things down the line because everybody's schedule is so different and i think especially for some of these groups that are just saying look january february is going to be its own thing and we're just looking at 2020 releases it is a good opportunity to pick something that you not only like genuinely love but as you said matt will rise will will raise that profile and sometimes a movie may not necessarily get into that category that you pick the winner for, but it at least gives people an incentive to check that movie out, which should always be the advocacy of critics in the first place. Yep. Uh, another good example of this is Delroy Lindo winning, you know, Best Actor uh, from New York Film Critics Circle. I, I think that that is something where, you know, because we've said this before, and we say this all throughout the season, there are certain people who are preordained to probably get a nomination in a category like in that lead actor category it's Chadwick Boseman and Anthony Hopkins everyone else that is fighting for those final three slots they, they, they should be looking for the critics to help boost their profile and get that support to make them also feel like a lock as well I mean if Delroy Lindo wins LA later today and wins a bunch more regionals he'll start looking better you know, for a nomination where a lot of people prior to uh, this week were saying, oh, he could get in. He might be slipping. Not sure. You know, it's it's only going to help, I think, because of it's going to it's going to increase the chances that an Academy member pops in that screener and watches that film. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, 
the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. I always sort of thought that The Five Bloods was actually going to be mostly okay, but I agree with you that for anybody that maybe was on the fence about it, this is an opportunity to make sure that that performance stays in the conversation. And look, I always think you should take critics awards with a grain of salt because I do agree with Michael that as the years have gone on, I think their direct influence in the Oscar race has subsided a bit. And we have been seeing more dramatic shifts between what the critics pick and what the industry goes for. But these are at least early indications of what people might be talking about later. And I think that that conversation is worthy to look at. It may not always bear out in terms of the end results of what the Academy is going to go for. But it's always nice to see what's at least early in the conversation. And, you know, if you start the conversation at that point, maybe it can keep going. Yep. And like, and here's hoping because a lot of these picks are smaller movies that could use the extra attention, any of the extra attention that something like a critics group nomination or win can afford them. I agree. I I mean, I will find it to be very, very interesting if a lot of uh, the movies that predominantly win at these critics groups are not the ones that were previously on our Oscar nominations. And then we'll have to reassess and ask ourselves, okay, does this really actually mean something? Because it's now it's not just a small niche of critics. It's like an overwhelming majority. But then you end up in situations like this is why I said before, like pieces of the puzzle, right? Look at Ethan Hawke for First Reformed, who won 30 plus critics awards that year for his performance in that film. Please don't remind. But but but, but this is important in terms of a lesson that you learn, <laughs> even though he had that overwhelming general consensus support yeah. from the vast majority of people in the world. What failed him was the studio did not take advantage of that buzz and then use that to push him hard enough into that conversation. So the studios are paying attention to the critics groups and what they are doing. And it's all going to determine how hard they want to put like if they want to push first cow for best picture, then by all means, push it for best picture. I can tell you this. They're currently not right now. But let's say that film continues to keep picking up picture and director awards left and right here and there it might cause them to reassess it might not but i do think that the studios looking at the critics groups and then deciding in phase two how hard that they necessarily want to uh campaign that that to me is the other piece of the puzzle that makes it all work in the end yeah as we said it's the profile of these movies and 
it is making the determination as to whether or not to push these films. And sometimes I think the critics understand that maybe cynically sometimes, but you know, it's hard to not be cynical (laughs) occasionally when you're looking at the Oscar race and it's a necessary thing sometimes to to do because you just want these movies at least in the conversation. And the biggest platform that these groups have to push films in the conversation is to give them an award. Like it, that's just, the simple truth. You know, what's the biggest example of that this week. Chadwick Boseman winning supporting actor for Defy Bloods from New York. I mean, I've yeah. been saying that that is something that could still yeah. possibly happen. <laughs> but I think that this, to your point, Josh, that kind of a win validates that suspicion. And now it's on Netflix to decide, OK, people are willing to go for it. Do we want to push that? Because they have to also then contend with if if he does get double nominated and lead and supporting on Oscar night for Defy Bloods and Ma Rady's Black Bottom, will one take votes away from the other? And that's another tricky situation then in terms of strategy at that point. Yep. Yeah, uh, that strategy, that's something that Netflix will definitely have to consider. But I think what is also helping is that if the critics are also going to be really coming to bat for Delroy Lindo, then that once again keeps eyes on that movie overall. Mm-hmm. And if you're watching The Five Bloods and you're still loving what Delroy Lindo is doing, it's also hard to overlook the whole point of the movie's plot, which is the Chadwick Boseman character in that film. Yeah. So over the next week, uh, as I mentioned before, we have Los Angeles film critics today. Tomorrow we'll have Chicago, Florida announcing their winners. Greater Western New York Film Critics Association announcing their nominations. And that's it, uh, because everybody takes off for the holidays. Uh, Everything comes back for the end of December for North Carolina nominations. Greater Western New York announces their winners. And then we're in January, and it's a whole new year. (laughs) And that's when you're going to see actually the vast majority of uh, film critics then start to chime in at that point, because, uh, man, let me tell you, after looking over the schedule and seeing everything, this is going to go through January, February, March and April. <laughs> it's going to be four months uh, like of nonstop nominations, winners, nominations, winners uh, from guilds, critics. It's uh, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'll admit uh, not terribly looking forward to that. But, you know, <laughs> what we got to do, <laughs> especially if the consensus starts to become so overwhelming that it starts to get boring. I hate to say and also, if the consensus is going to start to form around movies that mostly were released in 2020, like I know we have some big profile contenders coming out in January, February, but it's not like there's a lot. And we're really basically waiting on like two movies, if we're going to be honest. And yeah, that's what I'm like most not looking forward to is that we're probably going to see most of these groups pick winners that are movies that came out in 2020 and we have this extended period where we really just could have done this two months ago (laughs) well one of the films that is looking to be that consensus film for director and picture is nomad land from searchlight pictures they are finally released a trailer this week for this movie after releasing a teaser a few months back Uh, this movie is set to come out officially february 19th 2021 However, uh, because of virtual screenings, festival plays, it is currently in that award season conversation uh, with the critics groups, as you mentioned before, Josh. So February 19th, the official release. But 
it's funny because I actually think this is a first for us. I don't think there's ever been a time where we've had a podcast uh, trailer review and everybody has already seen the movie. So this is going to be uh, an interesting <laughs> perspective. Yes, you can listen to our uh, podcast review of Nomadland, you know, now streaming on uh, Apple Podcasts yeah. and Spotify. <laughs> Thank you for the plug there, Josh. <laughs> people should definitely go check that out. All right, let's take a look at the trailer for this one. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I and they sometimes call you Nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Welcome to Badland Spa. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. Hey, Fern! make the hole bigger. <laughs> I think Fern's part of an American tradition. Oh, he's gonna come right through the glass. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life Fern! just remembering. things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here and I don't ever say a final goodbye. It's just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. And I do. I see them again. And I can be certain in my heart I'll see you again. That is a fantastic trailer. It really Absolutely. is. Yeah. The way it's cut, the, what it represents, how it sells the movie. No Midland isn't even one of my favorites of the year, but that trailer does a very nice job of showing what it is and what you can expect from that movie. I agree. And I also love that it doesn't show anything really about the plot so much. So there's no big reveals or anything it's kept a little vague and it mostly highlights the fantastic cinematography of this movie and really gives us a chance to get a look at just some of the direction from chloe jaw and just the breathtaking shots that she's able to capture in this it just got that terrence malick feel to it that i mean if you guys haven't seen the writer uh then and this is your first you know this is your first exposure to Chloe Shaw's work, then poof, you're in for a treat. It's a really good representation of like the tone of the film. And to me, that's always the mark of the best trailers out there where they don't necessarily sell you all of the plot details, but sell you kind of the feeling that the movie's going for. And I think that this trailer does a perfect job at showing that. And I think that if you watch it and you are intrigued, then you will vibe with what the movie is going for and you know what's the wisest thing i think they did with this trailer they did not highlight a ton of critics pull quotes along with five star labels and things of that nature because this is exactly the kind of movie where when a marketing campaign highlights how much everyone is saying that this is the movie of the year, this is the absolute best, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And then people go to actually watch it, and they go, 
oh well not much really happened it was slow i you know i don't i don't get it why is everyone saying this is so great this is killing that expectation because they're not really pushing that angle so i i actually like that they took that route here yeah this is yeah. definitely the type of movie that <laughs> is ripe for people seeing it and being like what was all that hype about like and it's not that you want to necessarily downplay because you want people to be you know, interested in seeing your movie because it's very well reviewed but yeah movies like this are often the victim of people thinking that they have been overpraised and walking out disappointed and i think managing that expectation is always what you want to do from a marketing standpoint and i think this trailer does a good enough job of sh of showcasing that it's a very well respected movie but yeah you're right it's not like pulling a bunch of quotes of people who like 10 critics who said it was the best film of the year. Like it's just saying it's mm -hmm. good. This is sort of what it's going for. Come and see it, which I think is perfect for this film. I mean, we've all seen the movie. I think we're all positive on the movie. Michael, you're positive, right? I mean, like, you know, it's not your favorite, like you said, but like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely positive. Like yeah. Seven out of 10. All right. So catch Nomadland in theaters. If you can, I don't know what the state of the world hmm. will be, you know, but February 19th, if not, and you have a chance to see it virtually, Please do that as well. Okay, now, I have a question for you all. Have you ever wanted to share a piece of Meryl Streep's glory or play a game with Daniel Kaluuya? Well, this year you can thanks to today's sponsor, the Star Draft. As our listeners already know, Hollywood awards season is finally almost here, and the Star Draft is like fantasy football meets the Golden Globes, the Oscars, and so on and so forth. Here's how it all works. You head on over to stardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians. If you think Anthony Hopkins is going to sweep the season for his performance in The Father, draft him before your friends can. It's as simple as that. Before every nomination and award show, you set a lineup, and every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, it earns your team points. Sit back, relax, watch the awards, and rehearse your acceptance speech. The next Star Draft season begins on January 18th with the Critics' Choice Television nominations, so be sure to draft the team by then. Other eligible nominations and award shows this season include the Golden Globes, the Grammys, the SAG Awards, and of course, the Oscars. It's 100% free. And all you have to do is sign up at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning. And you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Very, very, very excited about this. The lineup for the 2021 Sundance Film Festival was officially announced. And even though it did not contain some of the titles that I think some of us were hoping to see, a.k.a. The United States versus Billie Holiday, it always does present such an interesting, <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it sounds intriguing type of a lineup. And I always love doing this. I love going back to the previous year and looking at the post that uh, Sundance, you know, puts up for the previous year's lineup, reading the plot synopsis and looking at the list and saying to yourself, like, wow, how many of these turned out to be actually like really amazing movies in 2020? And I always say this every year. I look at the list and I'm like, I don't know what any of these are. I 
I, I'm not, I don't, I can't even say if I'm totally interested or not necessarily. I, I just don't know. But then these movies are the ones that end up becoming some of my favorites uh, when we get to the end of the year. So what did you guys think of the list? Anything st- stand out to you? You know, we get great docs from Sundance. We had uh, in 2018 alone, there was like three identical strangers, RBG, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And the one that really jumped out to me here was another doc, uh, Rita Moreno, just a girl who decided to go for it. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, the, the documentaries are always sort of interesting, especially when you just look at the lineup initially, because one thing that I tend to notice, especially with Sundance, is that when you look at the descriptions, most of the narratives are like kind of vague. And it's like, I guess that sounds yeah. interesting. But the documentary is like, no, this is what it's about. So, yeah. <laughs> so normally I could get the clearest sense of what I'm actually like, what what is going to be the movie from looking at the documentaries. And yeah, there's there's a lot of good ones uh, or at least some interesting titles here. Um, I think that there is one about um Alvin Ailey, that looks kind of interesting. I, I'm sort of intrigued about that one. Uh, yeah, then there's another one called uh, Summer of Soul, which is about this like Harlem cultural festival that was happening at the same time as Woodstock. And it sounds fascinating. It's got like apparently footage from 50 years ago that's never been seen before. And, you know, I'm always into documentaries to begin with. So I'm very intrigued by some of the titles they have there. Some of these like really, really jumped out at me. Uh, there's Jockey, which is an aging jockey is determined yeah. to win one last championship. But his dream is complicated when a young rookie shows up claiming to be his son. And that stars Clifton College Jr. Molly Parker. Um, that definitely jumped out. I mean, Clifton Collins Jr., I, I'm a big, big fan of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mayday was another one that jumped out at me. Uh, that one is starring Grace Van Patten, Mia Goff, Havana Rose, uh, Leo Soko. Uh, Theodore Pellerin, Juliet Lewis. Uh, this plot synopsis for that one is Anna is transported to a dreamlike and dangerous land where she joins a team of female soldiers engaged in a never-ending war along a rugged coast. Though she finds strength in this exhilarating world, she comes to realize that she's not the killer they want her to be. What? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it wouldn't be Sundance without Christopher Abbott making an appearance. And uh, he has, on the count of three... And that plot synopsis, two guns, two best friends, and a pact to end their lives when the day is done. That is it. Yeah. You gotta love these uh, descriptions. I know. I mean, like, I'm intrigued. I don't know anything, but I'm intrigued. Yeah. I think also probably the most interesting one that I can imagine a lot of people will be talking about is passing. Yes. Yeah. And that, I think, had, like, the most star-studded cast, I think, actually. Yeah, and it's, like, the premise is also very intriguing, and it's directed by Rebecca Hall, right? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I would say that of everything that is in that lineup, that one probably is going to get the biggest profile uh, during the festival. Well, also, too, a previously announced movie that's coming from uh, Focus Features is Land, uh, that I think will have a big profile as well because it's uh, directed by Robin Wright and stars her as well, along with Damien Bashir and Kim Dickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one is the poignant story of one woman's search in the aftermath of an unfathomable event for meaning in the vast and harsh American wilderness. Just missing the nomad part. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Sundance is always an interesting time for discovery. You know, it, it these are mostly movies that we don't know anything about. And that's very, very exciting. Also, too, uh, I got to just point this one out, too. 
Fran Kranz is directing and writing uh, Mass, which is uh, years after a tragic shooting. The parents of both the victim and the perpetrator meet face to face, and that starts Jason Isaacs and Ann Dowd. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of stuff uh, hidden within here. I, I, I know the list is always overwhelming and can be a little daunting, but if you do take the time to read through it, th- there's always something in there that you just look at and go, huh, okay, let's go. Oh, yeah, there's always stuff like that. Like, uh, And it is also helpful when they kind of separate stuff out. And one thing that I always love looking at is like what's in the midnight section because I do like those types of movies. And, oh, my God, yes. Yeah, like there's one in here called Censor, which – it apparently is like about a film censor who gets a movie that is related to like the plot seems related to like her sister's disappearance. And it kind of seems like a little like blowout, a little, um, Oh, what was that? Like barbarian sound studio that, Oh like, my God. Yes. Like that movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like it kind of has a premise similar to something like that. And I'm really fascinated to see what that one's like. Yeah. The midnight section of uh, Sundance is always so much fun. Because that's where you get your your indie horror films or your indie like action films that are just like they're just always a blast, always a blast. Yeah. And some of them are truly terrifying. I mean, like like Hereditary or The Babadook or The Lodge. Yeah. What's also interesting is looking at this lineup and trying to figure out, okay. This looks like a very simple premise with like one or two characters. You were shot during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I think is going to be interesting to see in terms of the level of storytelling, quality of out, uh, of output and so on and so forth. You know, our, you know, Sundance is for indie films, right? So there's always going to be some level of budget restrictions. But I will be curious to see how much my illusion is broken while watching something where I do go, oh, yeah, they probably did it this way because of the pandemic. I I don't know if I'm looking forward to that so much, but if a movie can make me forget that and hide those elements well enough, then all power to them. Uh, The other section, too, is always the spotlight section because those are movies that uh, have played elsewhere prior to Sundance. And this year they only have two films in there, and that's Night of the Kings, uh, which is uh, Ivory Coast's uh, international feature uh, selection for this year's Oscar. And The World to Come, uh, which I saw at Venice, uh, and that will be releasing in February, starring Catherine Waterston, Vanessa Kirby, Casey Affleck, and Christopher Abbott. Does that have a distribution, The World to Come? Bleecker Street. Okay, yeah. So it's going to, you know, be a very unique festival this year because of the pandemic as we mentioned before, it has a decreased lineup, but I do think that as always there is an element of surprise and discovery which is going to, you know, be a lot of fun to go through in January. Well, actually this year it's shorter festival too. It runs from January 28th to February 3rd. So it's only one week this year. Lord knows I will try to watch six movies a day for a week straight. <laughs> yeah, well, at least it'll be easier to do that from your home. I don't know, because the distraction element of being at home is what worries me. Yep. You, you would think that, you know, being at home, it would be easier. But I miss I miss being in a theater where you can't have that cell phone out. I mean, I do, too. And and yeah. not only just that, but especially with festivals, I really do just miss everybody being there, just coming to see some some movies and, you know, 
That yeah. I, I still I still miss. I know this is sort of like a tangential conversation, but man, do I really miss just going to my local film festival and it's like some obscure movie that nobody else has really heard of and yet it's still a sold out show and people want to see it. Oh God, I do miss that communal experience so much. <laughs> I never thought I'd say it, but I miss standing in line. <laughs> I know that I complain about it when I'm there, but the chaos of running from venue to venue and the stress of trying to secure tickets or not knowing if you're going to make it before it starts. Like I, I have to admit, like I always say this, I I complain about it in the moment. I always feel like I'm going to have a heart attack, but I always look back on it later on with such fond memories and I can't wait to go and do it again. (laughs) And then when I'm there, I'm usually like, you asked for this, you asked for this. (laughs) All right, everyone, let's move over now to the polls. So for last week's poll for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, we asked everyone, which is their which is their favorite film starring Viola Davis? So we're not asking about Viola Davis as a performer. We're asking a movie that she was in. That is your favorite. Michael, what do you got? I think Doubt is their best film. I think that adaptation, we were talking about Ma Rainey earlier, how that's a great stage-to-screen adaptation. I think what John Patrick Shanley does with uh, his work there is just phenomenal. Okay. All right. Dan Bear? It's Widows for me. All right. Josh Parm? I think I would actually say Fences. That's a movie that I really liked the first time I saw it, but has actually sort of grown in estimation ever since in the following years that I have seen that movie. So I, I really do like that one. That would be my answer. And I am also saying widows as well. Let's see what the MVP film community voted on here. Number 10 is suicide squad. <laughs> the Oscar winning suicide I mean, squad. All right. Of course. Recount. Number nine is the Oscar winning Steven Soderbergh film traffic. Nice. Number eight, Out of Sight. Mm. That's such a good movie. so good. Great screenplay. Love it. Number seven, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. All right. Okay. Number six, Todd Haynes' Far From Heaven. Oh, well, I mean. (laughs) Excellent. Can't argue with that. Yeah, what else can be said? Number five. Is the help number four? Denny Villeneuve's Prisoners. That that is a killer movie. I mean, literally. Number three yep. is John Patrick Shanley's Doubt. Mm. Number two is Fences, and number one is Steve McQueen's Widows. What? Yeah. Those I'm are glad to see that movie get a second second life two years later because it really deserved much better in 2018. Yeah. And I hope people really come back to Widows because it was fantastic. It's such a unique type of crime thriller that is operating on such a bigger canvas than most crime thrillers do because of how much it incorporates the geographical and sociological elements of what's going on within that community into its storyline and dear god i like i i worship at the altar of that movie yeah i mean and one of the best ensembles Mm -hmm. of any movie in recent memory 
All right, so now for this week, happy holidays, everyone. We are asking everyone, what is their favorite non-Christmas movie to watch on Christmas? So if Christmas is part of your, like, actual plot, like, actual storyline, then I don't have it listed here, and I know that there's some gray area. Totally, totally get it. So... I understand if you want to come at me and say, well, Matt, this really is a Christmas movie. It's not one of those non-Christmas movies. Like, okay, fine. There is a write-in section as well if your choice is not listed. Totally okay. Josh, what is a movie that has some sort of a Christmas element to it that you like to watch around Christmas? Well, I think whenever this question is posed, the movie that immediately comes to my mind on almost every occasion is Batman Returns, which... I think is so I really do love Batman Returns. And I actually think that, look, I love the Dark Knight for many, many reasons. But there are some days where I even think I do prefer Batman Returns. I think that it is the most fun of all of them. And I really just love the tone of that. And there's Christmas all over that movie. And it's so it's so enjoyable to me. All right. Michael Schwartz. Yeah, so I don't celebrate Christmas, but I do love Christmas movies. Sure. And as for Christmas movies that aren't Christmas movies, I think of, of course, Carol, which has such beautiful decorations with the department store and just the whole, uh, you know, representation of the season. It's just absolutely gorgeous. I love in Silver Linings Playbook as a, you know, Philadelphia native seeing Jewelers Row and all the lights there at the end. Uh, that's really nice. But for me, I think I have to go with, uh, ironically, the most Jewish Christmas movie that we have on this list. And that is uh, When Harry Met Sally, which, you know, had the fingerprints of like Nora Ephron, Rob Reiner, Billy Crystal, but also just representing New York in the winter. You see uh, Meg Ryan carrying home the Christmas tree by herself just creates such a great sense of what that time feels like. And, you know, you don't have to celebrate to just take in the season and love everything about it. All right. Dan Baer. I am going to be the one who goes classic for this route and say, meet me in St. Louis. Ooh, good choice. I like it. Awesome. One of the greatest best Christmas ever scenes ever. Yeah. Yeah. Her have yourself a merry little Christmas is just one mm-hmm. of the greatest things ever put to film. There are so many films that fit this definition and it is very broad. As I mentioned before, I, I, I have so many that I think of and even films from last year now, too, that fit into this like Little Women, Hustlers, The Irishman. And you also have Eyes Wide Shut, which is probably my answer to this question. <laughs> I think that that is. Oh, my God, that, was, that movie is incredible. Um, and then there's also In Bruges. Catch Me If You Can. Ooh, that's a good one. Of course I have to mention Die Hard because what kind of a movie lover would I be if I didn't mention Die Hard? <laughs> so lots of answers to this. Michael, you'll be happy to know the Silver Linings Playbook is on the list. It's a great one. It really is. Uh, mean Girls is listed on there as well. Hell, I even <laughs> threw in L.A. Confidential. <laughs> that's a good choice. Yeah. So head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there. Let us know what is your favorite non-Christmas movie to watch on Christmas. And from all of us to you and your friends and family, 
Happy holidays, everyone. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is a hurricane heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. All right, let's answer now some fan questions from the MVP film community this week. Let's see what they had to send in. Isaiah Washington, what is the best original song performance and what is the Mm. worst original song performance you've seen at the Oscars? I I don't know that I would call it worst. But it's certainly iconic. Uh, the burning car from Crash is something that will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that is one of those like events that will live in infamy <laughs> kind of moments. Uh, oh my god, I completely forgot about that until you said it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I also remember that the performance that Sam Smith did for Writings on the Wall, like. So look, bad. Look, I will defend that song to a certain degree. Like, I like it more than most people do. But I do think that that performance was not good. I agree with that. That was what I was going to say until you said Crash. But I I have to mention that as well. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of people would say, like, it was just bad because it was the song. I do like the song. But I do also think that he was, like, very pitchy that night. And it wasn't great. To say the least. Yeah. As far as, like, some of the great ones... I mean, Robin Williams doing Blame Canada is always a highlight in my mind. I just love him. He does the Kenny line at the beginning with tape over his mouth and then rips it off. (laughs) Oh, my God, they killed Kenny. (laughs) That takes me right back. Takes me right back. One of my all-time favorites is Jerry Orbach doing Be Our Guest. Uh, More recently, gotta mention Glory. That uh, that was that so was powerful. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that was an incredible that presentation a- uh, when John Legend was doing that. Uh, actually, when John Legend did La La Land two years later, I thought that was a very nice presentation as well. I liked the medley that they did. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked that they did did it as, uh, you know, one as opposed to doing them all separately. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, there have been a lot of good ones in the you know, past few years. I was so, so happy to see Eminem perform Lose Yourself last year. I know that people thought it was so out of place, but as someone who would have loved to have seen him perform it when he actually won yeah. the damn thing, and we were deprived of that, and it also gave us that Martin Scorsese with his eyes closed me moment as well. Like, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> it's yeah, a very relatable moment. About, if we're talking about performances not from nominated songs, that Lady Gaga Sound of Music tribute from 2015 is still remarkable. Yeah, I remember uh, that really giving me chills and blowing me away, too. That was really, really impressive. And that was before she was who she is now. Like, she was still this amazing pop star, but people didn't really understand that she could break away from that, you know, uh, persona that she created back in the early 
2010s. I remember there were so many people on like Twitter saying, you know, she's classically trained, right? Like people had to like explain to others. <laughs> I, I was really stunned and, you know, been a fan ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I have to give a shout out to one Ms. Auli Cravalho who gets whacked yeah. in the face yes! with, a, with a flag and keeps singing beautifully because she is a goddamn professional. Yep. I love that performance of How Far I'll Go, even with the weird Lin-Manuel Miranda <laughs> Hamilton intro. All right. James Scott asks, based on recent critics' awards, which films and performances would you say have gained momentum over the last week? I think Dara Lindo has always had a path, but I think he's looking better and better by the day. Yeah, that was going to be my answer. Like, yeah. I never thought that he disappeared from the conversation at all, but I think this is good incentive to at least still keep talking about him. Yeah, and I'll say that... Um Never rarely, sometimes always has gotten a nice boost too with all the mm-hmm. awards for Sydney Flanagan, which, uh, <laughs> yes. Richard Houlihan, what are your thoughts on Maria Bakalova's awards run after two critics wins? How far do you think she will go? <laughs> yeah. No one knows <laughs> it goes. Uh, it's very much a critic's thing. She's worthy. She's amazing. It's nice to see her recognized, but that is not going to go anywhere. I, I would say the furthest she could get is like a supporting actress Golden Globe nomination. I, I, I actually, if I'm being completely honest with you, I disagree. I genuinely could see the path for it. I know Amazon Studios is actually actively campaigning her hard with a lot of FYC ads. And... I do think that that race is fluid enough that she could get in there. Listen, we all know that Close, Safe Read, and Burston are probably all in. That leaves two open slots. And I I could definitely see a world where she gets in there. I don't think this is just a critics thing. I really don't. I wouldn't like put money on it right now, but I do think there is a world where it could happen i I will agree with you on that point because if enough people do rally around that performance and you know like you said with the race in that category being a little bit fluid right now like yeah it it could happen i i don't think it's assured it's going to take a lot of work but i wouldn't necessarily completely write it off at blake remasters where do you currently stand on Mank's Oscar potential? It seems that critics really needed to throw their support behind this, and the response so far has been tepid, with only a scattering of nominations from the critics groups that have been announced so far. Seems like this is in trouble. Oh, it, it, it'll be just fine. I, I'm still thinking double-digit nominations easily. I think yeah. the guilds are going to come for this, and they're going to come for it hard, and it missing the critics? Yeah, I would not lose sleep over this. Yeah, we do this every year. Where especially it's like the first week of the big critics awards and stuff's missing and everybody freaks out and it's like there's a lot of more season left. Stay calm. More stuff is coming. It'll be fine. With that said, I want to just make note of this. I really do think that David Fincher's fortune in the best director category is going to be reversed this time around, where in 2010 he was the critic's darling. And he was looking like he was going to go all the way until Tom Hooper won the DGA and took that Oscar away from him. This year, I think Chloe Jaw is going to be the critic's darling. 
And I can't help but feel like when we get to those televised awards, I think then everything is going to reverse. Yep, I agree. At Swamp Thing, do you think that the Shia LaBeouf scandal has hurt pieces of a woman in this year's award season conversation? I really don't think it has. He was never a real factor in the awards race for a supporting actor. And as long as Ellen Burstyn and Vanessa Kirby don't (laughs) specifically like come out here and say, oh, he's a wonderful person. I think they're still going to be fine as well. I agree. Uh, Okay, and this one comes from Austin Belzer. Uh, He's asking about the film festivals uh, tied to Sundance this week. Do you think that with uh, Berlin and Sundance moving to a mainly virtual presence that we see a repeat of this year where most of the film festivals were online in 2021? So you mean like Toronto and all the other festivals continuing to be online next year? Yeah. I I would think so. And I think we're going to get to a place by 2021 where it might be okay to go back to the theaters in some capacity. Like if everyone's vaccinated, you may be able to go and still wear a mask and still have distance seating. But I think for 2021, there might be sort of more of a hybrid model where it might not be the best idea to have these festivals like they were in 2019 right away. Yeah, I I do imagine that even in 2021, that, like you said, Michael, a sort of hybrid style between like some movies, maybe the bigger profile ones are actually playing in the theaters with sort of limited capacity, depending on when they're happening. But there might be also some other titles that they will offer online that that to me seems like one of those once you do it now there's sort of an expectation that at least something will be available to stream online and obviously might not be all your really big titles, but I could see that becoming just something that is a mainstay for some of these festivals in the future. Oh yeah. It's hard to, we've been saying about it, you know, in other ways, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think the festivals will continue to have some sort of virtual presence. There's certainly not going to be all virtual like they were this year but it's it's gonna have something and that's a good thing because there are a lot of people who just can't commit to going to toronto for a week for a film festival but if they have access to see just some of those movies from home like after work and throughout the week i think that would open up the festival in a nice way and allow people to partake somehow or not even that like if you do if you are in the area and maybe there's a ton of movies you want to see, but by physically going there, there's just not enough hours in the day or there's conflicting schedules. Mm -hmm. If you can see something online, then that gives you more opportunity to see more movies. All right. Last question from Paul Rye. What is your favorite Christmas movie world that you would like to celebrate Christmas in? For example, my vote is elf. Who doesn't want to spend the holidays with Buddy the Elf? Okay, I want to be in the Christmas Spectacular and White Christmas. <laughs> Love it. Ooh. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> I think the one that comes to my mind, because, well, actually, the first one that came to my mind was Nightmare Before Christmas, but those seem like a bunch of weirdos. I don't know if I <laughs> Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to... It's like, a bunch of Halloween people who are trying to celebrate Christmas, but they don't really know yeah, how. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. I think the other one, and maybe this is just fueled by my very nostalgic memories of this movie, is um, Babes in Toyland. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> oh my god, Josh, I cannot believe that you just said that movie. <laughs> wow, that just like unlocked something in my childhood brain. Holy I'm, shit. Yeah, I'm telling you, like that Babes in Toyland. Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about that movie in so long. Wow. Yeah. That was one of those where the VHS tapes out at, at my house. I I would watch that many, many times, not even just around Christmas. This is going to sound weird, but fuck it, I don't care. Um, I would like to be in the Ron Howard Grinch universe. Okay, that is a great answer. I watched about 10 minutes of that movie the other night to just going through Netflix. And it feels like a real movie with real sets and real makeup and I mean, real costumes. It is. And it's like this is an actual <laughs> physical thing, and it's pretty amazing to look at. Yeah, no, regardless of what you think about the movie and its tone itself, the design of that movie is absolutely insane. Truly. It's, you know, you don't get things like that anymore. It's all, you know, visual effects out the wazoo. And mm-hmm. this is just like, you could tell it's, you know, blood, sweat, and tears went into making that set. It's something physical and real. I, I love that answer. So I'm going with uh, the holiday because it's Nancy Meyers' world. <laughs> you would. <laughs> you would. Perfect. Oh my gosh, funny as hell. All right. Anyone have anything to say before we go? Yeah, this year has been, you know, crazy and crappy, but I want to thank you guys for being here and for talking about movies all through it. It's, I know that it's helped me get through this year a lot. And I, I think it has for a lot of their listeners too. And so thank you to you guys and thank you to the listeners for providing all these great questions for us to ask and talk about throughout the year too. Truly. I mean, this has been a year where we need to connect in interesting, creative and unique ways. And whether it's, you know, the team here at Next Best Picture connecting offline or us connecting with fans through social media or Zoom gatherings. It's really been a terrific thing. And I think as we look to return to life as we know it at some point next year, hopefully, we could keep some of these uh, patterns going. There's no reason to stop connecting just because we're back to life as we know it. So, you know, the perspective that this has given all of us is a really good thing to keep going forward. Yep, I completely agree with all of that. With everything that has been very challenging this year, it's hard to um, completely say how much this community, both the team here and our fans, has really helped me personally. And I am so grateful for that. And I am sure that next year hopefully will be a little easier, but I'm still glad to have had the support to continue. I have to agree with everything that has been said here. Working on MVP with all of you, interacting with our community, has really helped me personally to get through this very challenging uh, time. And I'm very, very grateful in so many ways for being able to bring some level of peace and joy to those out there who have said to me that, your podcast has helped me to get through my week or my day, whatever it might be. It's really been, honestly, the great joy of my life to be able to do this. And I could not be filled with any more gratitude for that. I know that this is very difficult for a lot of people who cannot be with loved ones this year during the holiday season. 
And I know also for those that are going to be with loved ones, you really, you really should cherish it. You really should. I think this year has helped a lot of us to gain perspective. And I know for myself that that perspective is one that is just filled with undying love, passion, and quite honestly, some of the best people that I have ever had the privilege of working with. And I extend that to all of you right now that are here with me and everyone that's listening out there. It's been long, but we're getting through it. So let's all come together. Let's all give ourselves a nice, big, warm Christmas hug with hot cocoa around the fire. <laughs> Obviously, when I say hug, I do mean socially distance, of course, so an air hug. <laughs> <laughs> and really, let's all just, uh, you know, take this take this moment to appreciate what we have because next year we're going to we're going to kick 2021's ass. Seriously, we really are. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back next week with our best of 2020 episode. Really really excited. Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Dan Bear, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at dance and dan on film. Josh Parham, where can I find you? And I am on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 225 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you are feeling generous, head on over to Apple Podcasts, either on your phone or on your computer. Rate us five stars. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. Me personally, I would consider that to be a very, very excellent Christmas gift if you want to give me something this year for the holidays. And if you're feeling more generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. That's being maybe then a little too over generous. But like I said, if you want to give me a gift for the holidays, you know, I'm, I'm just giving you ideas at this point. Thank you so much for listening as always. And we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.